0: I'd invite Chuck Davis now to share a word with our body before Chuck comes to, per- to preach.
1: Thanks, Nathaniel. Today is June 29th, so Tuesday is July 1st. Does anybody remember what happened five years ago on Tuesday? July 1st, 2009, what was that? Nothing special? Nothing special? Okay. <laughs> we added a member and a family to our body five years ago. On Tuesday, July first, two thousand nine, Chuck Newkirk came to serve Church on Mill as the senior pastor. And yes. I'm Chuck Davis, and I am a member of the body here, a lay member of Church on Mill, and I have the honor today of saying a few words to Chuck and about Chuck on this, the celebration of his five year anniversary. And to start, I want to read a couple of scriptures, and you have to stay up here, you can't go down. You have to stay up here. <laughs> I want to read two verses first Hebrews thirteen and seventeen. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this, so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And one more scripture, first Thessalonians five, twelve and thirteen. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So those two verses call us to have confidence in our leaders, to submit to their authority, to acknowledge them, and to hold them in the highest regard and love. And I am honored to come and try to take a few minutes to do that very briefly before our sermon for Chuck. Um, um, I'm going to put this one back at you. You've said this many times over the last five years. And his leadership, I've appreciated very much. I've become a close friend. And he's told us to live in the lens of the gospel with four things that we went through over and over and over again that describe the gospel. Remember those words, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So that's the grand narrative of God's story throughout all of scriptures. That's also each of our individual stories. We're all created. We fall. We are redeemed through Christ for those who believe in him, and we are all eventually restored. And Chuck has called us to, to live that, to really see that, to live our lives in the lens of the gospel the last five years. And he's led well. As First Thessalonians said, he has worked hard for us. He has cared for and admonished us. And therefore, we want to take this time to hold them in the highest regard. We've shared with him and his family, Jill, Abby, and Micah. We've shared with them and individually and seeing uh, the redemption of their family is, uh, uh, through their children. And we've seen growth in our church. The church is the agent of God to fulfill the gospel on earth for his kingdom to come here. And Chuck has led us in that the last five years. And we really can't thank him enough for that. Thank you, brother. So, with that, yes, let's, let's do So, with that, the church wants to present you with a card and a gift of thanks, thanks in the envelope and say thank you. And I want to pray for Chuck and his family. Thanks. Dear Lord, we come before you today in thanksgiving, great thanksgiving, for the many great works you've done through Church on Mill to further your kingdom on earth and to further your glory in your name. And thank you for the leadership, the humble servant leadership of our pastor in doing that, continually pointing through himself to your grand narrative throughout all of history in your creation, uh, our fall, your redemption and your restoration of all humanity, of all the world, um, of those who love you, Lord. We thank you for his servant leadership to point us to that as the leader of this church. And may we honor him and hold him in the highest regard and love as we look to the future of this church and we look to each of our futures in you, uh, those who believe in Christ, and our future restoration to you for all of eternity. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>
0: Thank
1: and there's nothing like regarding somebody in love than doing it with cake and juice on the patio after the sermon.) <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Thanks, Chuck. Uh, kids, you're free to go play, learn, grow. Thank you, Chuck, and thank you, church. Bye. That was a... Uh, am I on? you hear me? That was uh, kind unexpected surprise Uh, so thank you very much i'm joining you i was joining you in the sweat during that moment it's been a real privilege and and an honor hope for many more years Um, if you have a bible with you please turn to john chapter 14 with me if you do not have a bible in the back to the left at the coffee bar there are some we'd invite you to get one and feel free to take it home with you if you do not have a bible Uh, we're in a series of talks right now that we've called Behold Our God. The goal is to help each of us understand who God is a little better so that we might enjoy Him, obey Him, and serve Him more. We typically will go through books of the Bible here uh, week by week, but from time to time we'll take more of a cross-section, a topical look. So these first several weeks we've been considering just uh, who God is And today we'll finish that and then in the coming weeks, Nathaniel next week will be sharing with us, we'll be considering different attributes or character traits of God. So we've been looking at the fact that God is triune, that within God himself there is one God in three persons. We won't spend much time explaining that today, but if you would like to learn more, you can go back two weeks on iTunes and listen to that. But we've said that God is Father, God the Son, and today we'll talk about God the Holy Spirit And the temperature just raised a little bit more in here, right? So we tend to, uh, in Christianity, either overemphasize the Holy Spirit or underemphasize the Holy Spirit. So depending on your background, if you have one in church, if you don't, then you're really going to think we're weird today. But if you do, you've probably either come from a tradition that the Spirit was hardly ever talked about or one in which uh, if you weren't quote-unquote, speaking in the Spirit or speaking in tongues, then you didn't have a salvation. Our hope today is that we could analyze and consider what the Scriptures say and help all of us understand uh, who He is. We've been using this uh, image, this graphic that has a triangle to help us see that God is one God. God is the Father. God is the Spirit. God is the Son. The Son is not the same thing as the Spirit. Spirit's not the same thing as the Father. Father's not the same thing as the sun. That's the best graphical image that I'm aware of to help us try and get a really difficult concept that we're never going to master. And that's okay because God is bigger than us, certainly. Today, let's consider church family, how we can understand who the Spirit is and what He does. So one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture to help us do that comes in John chapter 14 and also in John 16. And briefly to set it up before we read it together, the original context of this passage is Jesus has not yet gone to the cross, so he hasn't been crucified, but he's speaking to his followers, specifically his disciples, and talking to them about what they're going to go through, about who he is, why he came, what's going to happen to him, what will happen after he rises again and he leaves and departs to heaven. So he's telling them a lot of stuff that they're not going to understand at the time. But looking back on it, they can see how significant it is. And certainly there is great truth for us there. He's helping to prepare them for the confusion that's to come and showing them who they would need in order to accomplish the work that he's given them to do. And certainly the same thing is true for us uh, today. So John chapter 14, if you would look at verse 15 with me. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, so God the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you, and here's the big change that came when the Spirit came, will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will see me no more, because... You will see me, because I live, you will also live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments will keep them. He it is who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and I will come to him and make our, that's the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things." And bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Nor let them be afraid. Now turn maybe a page over to chapter 16. And a very similar passage that will help to fill this out some more. Chapter 16 verse 7. 16 verse 7. Now I tell you the truth. And here is one of the most surprising things in the whole Bible. It is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is talking to a group of people who are looking at him to be their deliverer, to be their rescuer. And he's saying, I'm going to leave. So put yourself there. The, The person that you're looking to as the one to fulfill the promises of God is saying, it's better for you if I go away. If I depart, that's kind of confusing, but he's going to explain why. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, we keep hearing this in this scripture, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him. When he comes, here's what he does, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they don't believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for I will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, what I said to you. I will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray that God would help us understand. Father, this is certainly a a rich, full passage of Scripture with incredible truth. And certainly if we spent together the rest of the Sundays of this year, we couldn't get to everything that's said here. But help us today to get the gist of it, to get the main idea, to understand what's being said about you, about the Father's role, about the Son's role, and in particular, about the Holy Spirit. There's so much confusion and misunderstanding about you as the Spirit, and yet our need is tremendous. We'll leave here in just a few minutes with a tremendous need to understand who you are because we'll meet a world that's hostile to you. Because we'll have desires that are contrary to you. Because we'll have thoughts that if we follow them will lead us away from, not towards you. And yet your spirit has been given in order that we might be convicted of our sin. That we might see you for the treasure you are. And that we might be empowered to live the life that you have for us. So we come to you as a group admitting our need and asking that you would guard us from distraction and teach us through the spirit would you do that now and it's in jesus name we pray amen well who is the spirit this passage that we've read tells us two things that the spirit is the helper we saw that repeatedly and that the helper is the spirit of truth the holy spirit is not an it he's not an impersonal force He's not, if you've ever been to AA, the the higher power, this vague, fuzzy thing that whatever you think of him is good enough. He's more than that. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's co-equal with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. That's who he is. But that's hard to get our brains around. So let's consider what the Spirit does. And that's where we'll spend the rest of the morning together. Jesus said the Spirit came to do two things. And all I want to do in our remaining time is try to lay them out as plainly as possible for you. The Spirit does two things. Number one, He convicts unbelievers of their sin. The Bible's teaching about sin is incredibly vast, a lot more so than we tend to understand. He said that sin is something that we are, that from our very nature, from birth, we are sinners. But it also says that sin is something we do. It's our nature, it's the beliefs we hold, it's the actions we take or fail to take. And of all the things the Holy Spirit does, this scripture tells us, first, the Spirit convicts us, convicts the world, convicts unbelievers of sin. The chief sin, of course, and we'll circle back around and in here today, the chief sin is not stealing or adultery or lying or anger. The chief sin is something far deeper than that. It's where all those things come from. The chief sin is trading God in for something else. In other words, it's worshiping something else rather than God. All the other actions that we take that are contrary to God are merely symptoms of that action. So what does the spirit do? Well, the spirit speaks to the world in general and to people in particular, communicating to them that God has a better way, that the words of truth are in the scriptures, that there's life to be found in him. If we'll turn from those ways and turn to God, it's conviction, it's reaching the end of ourselves. It's being interested in God and increasingly open to the Bible. It's seeing the pain that our sins bring and desiring change. All of that leads to Jesus. So that's what the Spirit does. That's His work. For those of you in the room that may have been in church a long time, you will have remembered singing the words, uh, Holy Ghost. Anybody give Casper a shout out? Yes? So... There's songs like that that in their day were part of the way people communicated. But today those just seek to help us be even more confused, right? The spirit is not a ghost. He is a spirit. So that means we don't see him, but he's ever been as real as the person sitting next to you. And his power is much greater than the person sitting next to you. And what is he doing? Well, every time you meet someone who is interested in God, There's evidence of the Spirit at work. Anytime that there is someone who's taking a step closer, who's expressing interest in the Scriptures, who's willing to listen to you blab on about God, who says, yes, I will go to church and consider it, even though I think you people are strange. Every time there's someone who says, what I did was wrong, maybe there's a better way. That's the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit at work. There's nothing strange and fuzzy and abstract about any of that. This is stuff we see every week, if not every day. And it is the Spirit of God at work. So what does the Spirit do? The Spirit convicts unbelievers of sin. Secondly, the Holy Spirit empowers believers. So people that have crossed from conviction of sin into following Jesus with all of life. The Spirit empowers believers for holiness And mission. We're going to spend the rest of our time here because, in my experience, Christians fall into a couple different camps when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Some of us get totally overwhelmed by the idea that there is a Spirit, and we go around wanting supernatural experiences all the time. And if we don't get them, then we think that God has somehow failed us. Some of you have seen really strange things happen. Some of them might actually be true. Others are just counterfeits. But some of us tend to think, if I don't see these supernatural, overwhelming, frankly bizarre movements of God in a collection of people, then the Spirit's not there. That's simply not true. Others of us quietly have doubts because we don't, quote, feel the Spirit. Is that you? I don't, I'm don't. not looking for volunteers, but... Is that you? Do you find yourself thinking, if I don't have warm fuzzies inside, if I don't feel, quote unquote, the goosebumps of God moving upon me, then I must be living in sin, or God must not be real, or maybe all this stuff isn't true. For some of us, that hits home. For others, we don't ever think about this much at all. Because we're in traditions that simply don't emphasize the spirit at all. I hope that God will show all of us today that there is a balancing effect. There is a middle way wherein we can desire to see God work and yet not be dependent upon goosebumps to see that God's real. So look at two passages that we read. Chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the father... And he will give you another helper. So another helper would have to mean what? That there was a first one. So we'll come back to what the helper is in a minute. But he's not saying, I'm going to give you the first one. He's saying, I'm going to give you another one, a second one. Which, for those of you that have watched Scooby-Doo, should make you say, to be with you forever. And then chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, here's that word again, will not come to you, therefore I will send him. The Holy Spirit here is called the helper. So what is it that he helps with? What is is it that he's come here to do? I have to do this quickly because we don't have much time. And I went to a lot of years of school for this. Between chapter 14 and chapter 16 is chapter 15. Now, here's what all you brilliant people need to know that chapter 15 says. Chapter 15, the latter half of it, is Jesus saying, The world is going to hate you. It's not going to like you. If you live for me in this kind of place, people are going to think you're nuts. People aren't going to listen to you. They're going to turn from you. They're going to run. Some of you, they're even going to kill. And oh, by the way, I'm the one you've been looking for and longing for, but I'm going back to the Father. So you're not going to see me anymore. Now, if you're one of those original 12 and you've given up everything to follow Jesus and all of a sudden he comes out of the closet with this, I'm leaving. And the world's going to hate you, and I'm not going to be with you anymore. That's not exactly the pep talk you were expecting. Chapter 15 says, the world's going to hate you, but you're going to be my witnesses. I'm going to send you out with my message, the, the gospel. You don't understand it yet, but that is the truth that I came, I died, I rose again, the most objective, important fact the world will ever know. And if you will place your belief in me, then I will give you life. You can trade your fallenness for my righteousness. That's chapter 15. The disciples were mostly nobodies. They had no formal training, no political clout, no money Many of them were fishermen from the wrong part of the country. And yet Jesus tells them, I'm going to give you the truths of the gospel that through them you would plant churches who would then reach the whole world with the message of the gospel. Now, was he telling the truth? Look around you. Yes, we sitting here today are the fulfillment of that promise. Gathered all across the valley are churches who are the fulfillment of the promise. And around the world... Millions of people are gathering today that evidence that Jesus wasn't a lying lunatic. He was telling the truth. But if you consider this from a purely historical perspective, it's completely ridiculous. Because we all would understand if you want to affect change, if you want to really make a difference, if you want to turn the world on its head, then you go to the people with money. You go to the people with power. You go to the people with good looks. You go to the people with pedigree. You go to the people with influence. Our entire government is built on that principle today. But that's not at all what Jesus did. He went to nobodies. And he went to nobody's with the most absurd of messages. Here's what their message would have sounded like to three different parties in its original day. So just by the way, before I tell you these, those of you in the room that are believers, that are Christians, do you ever feel silly when you share the gospel with somebody that doesn't believe? Do something honest and strange. Be, be transparent here. Do you ever feel really bizarre? Like all of a sudden you've grown three or four heads and they're all spinning around. Do you ever feel like people are looking at you like that? Well, you're in a long line of people who've been looked at really strangely. This is nothing new. The world, don't believe what the Barna Research Institute would tell you that we are somehow more weird today than ever before, and that we've seen the last Christian generation. That's not true. This has always been a strange message. Where it's not strange, it just means that the culture has accommodated the things of the world and taken on the rallying points of the world instead of being the church. But here's the way the disciples would have sounded. So to their fellow Jews, here was their message. The creator you worship is actually Jesus, who you killed on the cross. He's God. He died and rose again, and he now reigns as king of the universe. He's the deliverer you've always been waiting for, even though he's gone. So repent and turn from your sins or be lost forever. Imagine how they would have been looked at. Or how about to the Romans? Your leader, Caesar, thinks he's God. And for good reason. Nearly the entire planet is under his authority. He has unparalleled power. Well, almost unparalleled. That guy your soldiers nailed to the wooden cross who died the most awful shameful death, he rose again and he's God. So repent and turn from your sins. Of course they look at them like they're nuts. Or how about to the Greeks? You are a spiritual people. Athens is full of gods. That's good because there actually is a god. But you've got it wrong. There's not thousands of gods that are statues. There's not lots of versions of truth. There's one. His name is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Turn to Him or be lost forever. Friends, Christianity has some street credibility now. There's a lot of evidence to point to. But at this moment, there wasn't. At this moment, this was a new message. It was a message that has been told all through the story of the Old Testament, but people had not grasped it. In much of the world, this message is seen as plausible. It's now the largest religion on the planet, and it's marked history more than any other worldview. But when the disciples heard Jesus telling them to go on mission and share this message, it was spoken by a bizarre, backwoods, no money, no home, nothing little group of people. Just like today in Jesus' day, Christianity is a message that seems tailor-made to go directly against all the cultural norms and sensibilities of the day. So what would it take for that message to ever gain a following? What would it take for anybody to actually believe it? What would it take for people to be willing to give their lives up for it? Why have we ever even heard the name Jesus? Two words, Holy Spirit. That's how. Christianity has spread not because there were smart leaders, though there have been. Christianity has spread not because there's been power gained, though there has been. Christianity has spread not because people with influence helped it, though there have certainly been that. Plain and simple, Christianity exists and continues to grow because of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus did not send his disciples out on mission alone. He sent them with the Spirit. Jesus gave them the greatest of all promises for the most absurd of all missions. That mission was take this message that will seem ridiculous, but take it with me, take it with God, take it with the Spirit. He sent them with the Spirit. If only Jesus was here. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever felt in that moment, Christian, when you're sharing the gospel, if only I had Jesus at my side who could show them the nails, who could speak the truth, who could understand their need, who could overcome their doubts. May you never, ever, ever have that thought again. Because Jesus said, it's better if I go, because the Spirit will come. And He won't just be with you. He'll be in you. And if you'll turn from self-dependency to me, then you can share the message with joy and with effectiveness. Jesus called him another helper. Now, I hardly ever do this because I want you to trust that you can trust your Bible in English. But it wasn't written in English, it was written in Hebrew, in Aramaic, and Greek. And sometimes it helps to see what's going on back behind the scenes. And this is one of those moments. Jesus called the Spirit Alas Parakletos. Here's what it looks like in Greek. All right, everybody say that with me, alas, parakletos. Now turn to somebody next to you and say it again. Go for it. All right, now here's why I bring that up. In Greek, there are two different ways to say another. We only have one English word for this, and it is? Very good. There's two Greek words to say that. One means another of a different kind, a different one, a different another, and the other one means another of the same kind. So in other words, Jesus could have said, I'm going to send you someone who's very different than me and he's going to do something different for you. Or he could have said, I'm going to send you someone that's just like me, another that's going to help you in the same way I've helped you, but even more, even better. And that's obviously what he said. He said, I'm going to send you another paracletos. Now, I, I would guess you didn't use that word today, so let me tell you what it means. It means someone who stands by another, someone who's sent from someone to be your helper, your aid, your encourager alongside you, even within you in everyday life. That's the Spirit. Would you consider what that would mean if that were the truth? Lay aside your preconceived notions just for a few moments. Let's assume that Jesus knew what he was talking about. And that's actually true. That he was killed at the cross, resurrected from the tomb, ascended to heaven, and then as Acts tells us, he sent... Spirit. When you share the good news that Jesus died and rose again with lost people that you love, you never, ever, ever do so alone. The Spirit is always with you. Always. Whether you see Him with your eyes or hear Him with your ears or feel Him with your goosebumps, He's with you. Christians we all have friendmates, friends or classmates or coworkers who are not followers of Jesus. Many of us have family who are not also. By grace, we must realize that we know the source of joy, Jesus, God Himself, because the Spirit moved in our lives. And so ultimately, what our friends and coworkers and family and roommates need is not our eloquent wisdom to be imparted to them. What they need is the Spirit to open their hearts to believe. And how does that happen? It happens as you share the truth. You are the means through which the Spirit chooses to work. So ultimately, we don't have the pressure of trying to persuade, but in order to share the gospel and pray that the Spirit would open their hearts. Our mission is to faithfully share... And the Spirit's mission is to open their hearts. There's a lot more we could say, but let's bring this to conclusion. Look again at chapter 16, verse 8. When He comes... So this has now happened. Let me read it that way. The Spirit has come. He has convicted the world and will continue to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness, and judgment. Let's just stop there. When many of us hear the word conviction, we think of feeling bad for lying, or for looking at porn, or for cheating on a test, or for cutting corners at work, or for blowing up in anger. But that's not what this passage is talking about. That's not the conviction this is referring to. you should notice that it says, convict the world concerning sin. Feeling bad about certain actions is important, but that's your conscience revealing your sins to you. This is referring to something very different. This is our sin, singular, concerning sin because they don't believe in me. What's he talking about? Conviction of sin is coming to understand we've all been attempting self salvation. We've all exchanged God for something else. Instead of trusting in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I've been trusting in myself. Instead of seeing Jesus as the supreme source of joy, the only God worthy of worship, I've traded Him in for something else. Instead of worshiping Jesus as King of the universe, I've been sitting on my own little throne. Friends, for some of us, religion has simply been trying to clean ourselves up with good behavior so that God would be impressed. You've looked at your good works to be your Savior. What does the Spirit do? Well, the Holy Spirit's work in your life is to show you that Christianity isn't what you can do for Jesus, but what Jesus has already done for you. So the Spirit's work isn't strange. It's a gift. For others, a a person has been your functional savior. Maybe it's a spouse or your two year old or your boss or your teacher's approval. Your sense of self has gotten all wrapped up in what another thinks of you. The Spirit is your another, He is God. You don't need any other. The Spirit's work in your life is to show you that only Jesus can save you. Nobody else can bear that load. Others are hearing these words, and I can hear you thinking, I don't do that. I have no reason to. I'm fine on my own. Do you hear yourself? I don't need God. I am God. The Spirit's work in your life is to show you how much He loves you even though you continually kick him off the throne and put yourself there. Friends, the Holy Spirit is God at work in us and among us. What does he do? He convicts of sin. If you're here today and this is making sense for the first time, and the Spirit is inviting you to turn from sin and turn to God and love him and enjoy him, And He's offering you Himself as a gift if you'll turn from yourself to Him. Others of us, what does the Spirit do? He equips you for holiness and mission. Maybe you're already saved, but you've turned from a life of holiness back to sin. The Spirit's invitation to you is return to Him. Enjoy again His love. And for others, and I would imagine this is many of us in the room, We don't share the gospel often because we're afraid. The disciples were likely afraid. And that's why Jesus told them, I'm sending you another helper just like me. It's better that I go because he will live within you. Would you consider who God would have you share with? Not out of guilt but out of delight in the fact that the very power of God lives within you. Let's pray. I wonder before we leave, if you'd take just a moment and maybe turn to God for the very first time, crossing that door that threshold into faith, turning from sin, turning to God. Or turning from sin as a believer and turning back to the Spirit who wants to equip you to live life in a holy way. Or follower of Christ that you would begin to be someone who shares your faith because God has given you that opportunity and the Spirit's within you. Father, thank you for your scriptures. It is through them that we learn what you have done and what you're continuing to do. And it is through your spirit that we can understand what you've said. I pray today that what I've communicated, any part of it that's not truthful, that it would simply fail to be something that we remember. And every part of it that is the truth, that your spirit, the spirit of truth, the helper, would embed it deep in our hearts that we might remember and live differently by your strength and your power within us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.